Coming up on Golf Today, Rory says enough is enough. The four-time major champ resigned from the PGA Tour Policy Board yesterday, citing personal and professional commitments. But why did he leave now, and what happens next? And another major champ looks back on the Ryder Cup. Captain Zach talks Rome, time management, and regrets after another U.S. defeat on European soil. Plus, the feel-good story of the year keeps on going. Camilo Vajegas joins the show to talk about his angel above, the demons in golf, and victory in Bermuda, calling this a very special Golf Today. Golf Today. Today on a Wednesday, Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch, Golf Week Magazine. We've got season enders on the LPGA DP World Tour and some big news on the PGA Tour. Big news from both, both the CME and at the DP World Tour. And not a ball is in the air just yet. Let's get to it. Rory McIlroy, three-time winner of the FedEx Cup, has resigned from the PGA Tour Policy Board, citing professional and personal commitments in his resignation letter to the tour as the circuit attempts to negotiate a definitive agreement with Saudi Arabia's public investment fund and navigate an uncertain future. McElroy began his term in 2022 in the midst of an unprecedented threat from Live Golf, and he had been the tour's most outspoken supporter. Now, this from Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour. During his tenure, Rory's insight has been instrumental in helping shape the success of the tour, and his willingness to thoughtfully voice his opinions has been especially impactful, given the extraordinary time and effort that Rory and all of his fellow player directors have invested in the tour during this unprecedented transformational period in our history. We certainly understand and respect his decision to step down in order to focus on his game and his family. Todd Lewis joins us now from Sea Island with more on this surprising news. Todd, what can you tell us? Well, Damon, Rory McIlroy enthusiastically took his position on the PGA Tour Policy Board in 2022, not only to better the tour, but to better the game itself. And he did so while also being a big opponent of Live Golf and a proponent, maybe a huge voice, a proponent for the PGA Tour you can easily make the argument he was the biggest voice. It seemed to energize him. Look at what he did on the course last year. He had 12 top 10s. He won three times, won the FedEx Cup. But then you turn the calendar to 2023 as the battle between Live Golf and the PGA Tour continued. And there was a heaviness that seemed to follow around Rory McIlroy. And then, of course, that surprise announcement in June, the PGA Tour announcing that they have agreed with, or to work with PIF to form a new co or try and form a new co. That caught everyone by surprise, including Rory McIlroy. He felt a bit betrayed and wanted to resign from the PGA Tour Policy Board last summer. But he decided that he was going to stick around after some encouraging words from fellow PGA Tour Policy Board members. Now here we are in November. He feels like it is the right time for him to step away from the Policy Board and concentrate on his craft. Now, Webb Simpson is in the field here at the RSM Classic, and he is also a PGA Tour Policy Board member. I had a chance to catch up with Webb to get his reaction on the announcement that Roy McIlroy is no longer a member of that board. I was sad. I was disappointed. Um, not disappointed in him, just disappointed that, you know, I don't get to continue on with him. He's a great friend. I've known him for a long time, going back to the Walker Cup in 07. Um, but look, I, I got to say that, you know, he's had a lot on his shoulders, you know, being kind of 
if not the if not the guy, one of the main guys, kind of helping the PGA Tour, carrying the tour on his shoulders through the, you know, through what's been going on in the game of golf, um, and you know, the launch of TGL. Um, and all of us, we're a lot more than golfers. He's got a family and he wants to be more around. So um, I know it was a hard decision, but respect the heck out of Rory. And um, yeah, I'll miss him being in those boards, hearing his ideas. He's a smart guy. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't see it coming and I was surprised. What did he bring to the board in his short tenure, in your opinion? Um, you know, being a global player his whole career, he, he's able to see the game, um, not just from the perspective of PGA Tour member, but how can we grow the game around the world? He's he's playing in Middle East, Asia uh, every year. He's seeing the game of golf growing or trying to grow in those markets. And um, and I think, you know, he's the highest, the, the most highly sought after player on the PGA Tour right now. Um, so I think he understands uh, the value that he brings and also the value the PGA Tour uh, brings every week in every market we go to. Um, so a lot of wisdom there, even though he's, you know, mid-30s, um, but I'm sure he'll still be involved. I'm sure we're still going to consult with him some and, and get his help. We need it. I spoke with Charlie Hoffman and Peter Maldotti, also in the field here at the RSM Classic. They, too, are PGA Tour Policy Board members. They said they will miss Roy McIlroy's passion and intellect in the boardroom, but they understand his decision. It's a big commitment to be on the PGA Tour Policy Board. These meetings last eight to ten hours. As a matter of fact, Rory's last Policy Board meeting took place this past Monday. He was in Dubai. He dialed in and stayed up till two o'clock in the morning or close to that time, Dubai time, to be a part of that board meeting. So that was a huge commitment from Rory, McIl Rory McIlroy in trying to be on the PGA Tour Policy Board and continue to play at a high level. John Rahm understands the commitment a player must make to be on the PGA Tour Policy Board. He is competing in Dubai this week, and he was asked about Roy McIlroy's surprise announcement. If I could just follow up, because obviously we've woken up to the news this morning that Rory McIlroy has resigned from the, the Policy Board on the, on the PGA Tour. Um, just quite simply, what's, what's your reaction to that? And, um, you know, there's a, obviously a vacancy there now as well. Oh, you won't see me there. Absolutely no chance. I've been asked a couple of times if I had any interest, and I'm not going to spend, I don't know how many meetings they have, but they're six, seven plus hours long. I'm not, I'm not made for that. And uh, I, as it comes to Rory, he's, he's obviously been put in a situation where a lot has been expected of him, and I don't know the exact reason why he, he left the board. But I certainly wouldn't blame somebody like him to just want to focus a bit more on his game and his family and, and enjoy a bit of the time he's, he's, uh, he's truly earned. Right? Uh, again, it's a, it's a big commitment for, for somebody to be part of the board. Were you surprised by the news? I'm not sure that really matters if I was surprised or not. Uh, did I expect it? Not really. Uh, but again, I can understand why somebody would do it, especially with a lot everything that's been going on. Would there have ever been some degree of competitive advantage in Rory committing so much time over to the policy board? Hard to say, hard to say. Because uh, he's been also being part of the PAC and PAC chairman, which also requires some time and has done great as well, right? Uh, I don't know. I think 
again, it is a significant commitment, so it could have an effect. Because it's not only the meetings, it's the phone calls, it's, it's players wanting to talk to you, right? So those those hours you spend on the golf course are a little bit busier. Uh, so it could, I think, it could it could hinder a little bit. Uh, There's a reason probably why I can't recall any great player being a full-time board member while they're winning many tournaments and majors at the same time, uh, at least in recent history. So I don't know if there ever was somebody. Maybe Jack and Arnie when they created the PGA Tour. But uh, I, I can see how you know the lack of sleep and added stress can definitely hinder a little bit your ability to compete. The PGA Tour Policy Board will now begin a search to find a player on tour to replace Rory McIlroy on the board. And yes, guys, it is a big blow to have Rory McIlroy step away from that policy board. But let's not forget, Tiger Woods was assigned to the PGA Tour Policy Board in August, and he has a very heavy influence. Todd, you mentioned that it was just two days ago, the last meeting of the PGA Tour's Policy Board down in Ponte Vedra. Do we know what happened at that meeting? Did anything significant come out of it? Well, nothing tremendously significant, but there was movement in regards to the deal being worked out between the PGA Tour and PIF. First, in the room, I told you about Roy McIlroy dialing in from Dubai, but in person in the room was Tiger Woods. He made the trip up from South Florida to Ponte Vedra. Jay Monahan, of course, the PGA Tour commissioner, he was there as well. One board member said that's as healthy as they have seen Jay Monahan since he took his leave of absence. He had a quiet strength about him. And in regards to the deal being worked out, we have heard other investors wanting to be a part of this deal, other groups. These groups are in a for-profit position. They want to get a return on their investment. And right now, the Saudis are receptive to having these, these groups be a part of this deal. Now, of course, the big question is, can they get this deal done by the deadline of December the 31st? As of now, that's quite uncertain. So we'll have to see what happens over the next six and a half weeks. Todd Lewis reporting from the RSM Classic, St. Simon's Island. I mean, these athletes, and I said it yesterday, they, they have enough of a struggle balancing work, trying to be number one, trying to be a husband, and a father, and it makes you think, you know, what happened? Was it the timing of this board meeting at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. in Dubai? Did something come from this board meeting that, that shifted his opinion on this framework agreement? Or was it just the law of diminishing returns, an economic term, when, you know, the, the restaurant owner hires a waiter and the profits go up, and then he hires a couple more waiters and the, and the profits go down? And maybe he got that boost initially, that external motivation and it just became too much and he wants to simplify things. I, I tend to think it's the latter in terms of the overload because Rory McIlroy has a lot on his plate just beyond being the you know husband, father, businessman, all of that stuff and even beyond his game. I mean, we heard reference earlier from Webb Simpson to TGL launching. That's going to take more of his time next year, this kind of in indoor simulator league that he's launching with Tiger Woods. But it's not just that he's been on the board for the last couple of years. He joined the Players Advisory Council two years before that. So basically since 2019, really when all of, long before all of this kind of Saudi investment and rival leagues ever really surfaced, Rory McIlroy's been involved in the administration. And I've talked to some people around the board a lot over the last few weeks and the amount of time, even what it's a voluntary position that these guys are spending on it is very significant. So if Rory McIlroy's experience is similar to other folks that I've talked to, but well, then that drag is not insignificant 
at all. But I also think there's a potential political reason why Rory would leave the board as well. I think he's very conscious of the idea of a conflict of interest in the idea that everyone has their own agenda here and everyone's looking for an agenda even where none might actually exist. And what we are now down to five private equity groups that are potential investors in the PGA Tour. And one of those is the Fenway Sports Group, which has a record with the Boston Red Sox. They own Manchester United, the Pittsburgh Penguins. But they also recently acquired a team in the TGL, right. the, and it's Rory McIlroy's team. And there's no conflict of interest unless those guys do happen to be the bidding party or the bidding investors. But even the perception of that, I think, might have lingered on his mind as well, because they really are getting to the point now where the rubber's meeting the road here, Damon. The, the conversations that are going to start happening at a board level from this point on are going to leave people upset on one side of it or another, because it's not as though the entire board is aligned in one particular direction. There, people are going to be getting upset. Mm. And if you're in a growing McIlroy and you're going to add that to the other workload that you have, you might just think, you know what, now is really the time to go. So business considerations and then... I love how John Rahm said that it's like legacy considerations. You know, what great dominant players have spent their evenings, you know, focused on tour governance. You know, said Arnie and Jack, yeah, they starting the PGA Tour, yes, but height of power, the focus was about winning and legacy and winning big tournaments. And maybe we should have seen this coming just Tuesday in Dubai. Rory McIlroy was asked about his happiness as a member of the board. I don't know. I mean, are you enjoying having a seat at that particular table? Not or? particularly, no. No, not what I signed up for whenever I, I went on the board. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's the, the, the game of professional golf has been in flux for the last two years. Again, the overall game, I think, is in a really good shape. And, um, but everyone focuses on this, this top level because it, you know, because it is what it is. And it's, a, it's an entertainment product and it's a show, but uh, the faster that it gets rectified, I, I think the, the better for, for everyone. Not what I signed up for. And Golf the, pass, business interests, TGL, a green jacket, number one in the world. I mean, this is, it's just, it's a lot going on for this young man, not to mention fatherhood and being a husband. And it's, it's going to have a knock-on effect on this broader process as well. I mean, we just saw at the board meeting two days ago, it was announced that they'd finally found a replacement for Randall Stevenson, mm. who resigned from the board in July. The players are now charged with finding another player director to put on the board. Presumably, it won't be that difficult. It may well even be Adam Scott, who is the current chairman of the pack, who would be next in line to come on the board anyway. But whoever that person is, they have to be brought up to speed on all of these conversations that have been going on because all of these private equity groups have made in-person pitches and making their case, including two-player directors. Mm. So whoever's coming in is coming in without all of that institutional knowledge that the others have accumulated. So a process that has already been, to use Jay Monaghan's phrase in his memo to players on Tuesday morning, he said it's, the process has been deliberate. Mm. But this ain't going to make it any faster. Roy McIlroy has stood tall for the PGA Tour. I imagine he'll be asked about his decision in Dubai, my initial reaction to his choice is good. I think that will be his as well. Mm. But coming up next, we're going to hear from the latest winner on the PGA Tour. Camilo Villegas is here, fresh off the feel-good comeback 2023. Stay with us.
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We're back on golf today. Let's see how things stand in the race to the CME Globe. With just one week left to go, Celine Boutier, who has joined us yesterday, has a narrow lead over the world number one, Lilia Vu, so a lot to play for this week in Naples. Eamon, the LPGA today announcing an extension of the CME Group Tour Championship and the season-long race of the CME Globe through 2025. A two-year title sponsorship agreement will bring new opportunities for women's golf starting next year. And here are the details, an enhanced total purse of $11 million, including a record $4 million first price prize, a million dollars for the runner-up. Additionally, as part of the purse distribution, for the first time ever, every competitor who qualifies for the 60 golfer field will be awarded at least $55,000, increasing recognition for all of the players. With more on the news, we bring in Amy Rogers from Naples, Florida. Good afternoon, Amy. Hey, good afternoon, Damon. Well, what a difference a year makes at the CME Group Tour Championship. It was just a year ago at this event that CEO of the CME Group, Terry Duffy, was calling into question the leadership and the future of the LPGA Tour after LPGA Tour players failed to attend one of his conferences events during the week of this tournament. But 12 months later, he stood beside uh, the leader of the LPGA Tour and Commissioner Molly Marcusamon to announce that his company would be extending their title sponsorship of the Tour Championship through 2025 and making a sizable increase to the purse, which will increase from seven to $11 million next season. Now, I had a chance to speak with Duffy earlier today about his change in thinking about the LPGA Tour and why he wanted to renew his commitment to the organization. Well, there's, there's several reasons, Amy. You know, at CME Group, we are very pro of making certain that we have equality throughout our company. And our company is not just a Chicago-based company. We're in 200 countries around the world. We have business coming from all over the globe. And uh, my employee base is in many different locations. And I'm a big believer that, you know, we have a bunch of women and a bunch of men. And I believe in equality for both of them and giving them opportunities to move forward. One of the things I wanted to do was to continue to promote St. Jude. I'm a big fan of St. Jude. I mean. Uh, so you have a sick child is just unacceptable and, and have to pay and give up your livelihood in order to take care of that child is, you know, really difficult on parents. So I, I, we wanted to continue on with that. And the LPGA is a great partner. And, you know, I've said this for many, many years, going back to 05 when I did my first pro-am before we even had a tour event, that we want to continue to evolve with the LPGA. And going from Mike Wan to Molly Saman, you know, we've been able to evolve into something different. So, you know, I don't like to just do it to push the envelope. I really wanted to have other events around the world, you know, including here in the U.S. I want players to show up at these events because I want them to eye this on their schedule and say, I need to make it. And, you know, there's a number for them to do that. You know, what, what is that price point? I don't know. But I think that this will help other events around the globe for the LPGA and will help grow the game. And that's important for me for young girls and young women trying to get into sports. So 
we wanted to make sure that we had the largest first prize in the history of women's sport, and we think that's important for women to aspire to see that there are companies out there that actually care. So that's the main reasons. You mentioned what a great partner the LPGA Tour has been with you and your organization over the years. Last year at this event, you expressed some concerns about the future of this organization. What have you seen over the last 12 months at the LPGA that led you to go ahead and make this decision? Yeah, my, my concern wasn't so much, you know, about what the future was. It was more of just maybe a lack of communication. So communication skills are always important in my world. And if, if there, when it breaks down, normally there can be other repercussions associated with it. And I think that's all it was. So not a big deal. What do I see going forward in the next five years? I'm hopeful that these women continue to do what they're doing, continue to aspire to young women to become young ladies and become you know professional athletes, if not become professionals in whatever they do in this world to make it a better place. You know, CME is also just gave an additional $2 million to the underprivileged women and girls in the city of Chicago who are completely underserved, who are mothers, and they can't even take care of their own children. So this is a, another part of the world that we're looking at that we need to make sure that we're helping. So we do that. Um, I think the LPGA is on a good trajectory for many years to come, and I hope they never forget where they came from because from somebody who started working at CME 43 years ago for $56 a week, um, I never forgot where I came from. So I hope they'd continue to do that, and I hope the success, you know, continues to bring nothing but wealth and prosperity to the world, not just to the I also had a chance to speak with LPGA Tour Commissioner Molly Marcusamon about today's staggering announcement, and I asked her what sort of message she hopes that today's announcement will send to current and potential future sponsors of the LPGA Tour. Yeah, this is the Tour Championship, so it's the finale of a long and competitive and, you know, hard season, and everybody is working the whole year to get into this tournament. So again, we want players to play in as many events as they can, and they feel comfortable, and we want play, um, other tournaments to move at the rate that they can move. But we've seen tremendous growth over the last two years. You know, the purses are up over 54%. The major championships are, are up, but also the non-majors are up. And, you know, with the announcement for next year's schedule, you'll see even more growth. So I think it's all a partnership. We all work together. I call it the team around the team. Everybody working to elevate the LPGA, elevate women's golf, elevate women's sports, and really elevate girls and women in, in so many different ways on and off the golf course. So it's just, it's all part of a team effort. And I think having this culmination of the season in the Tour Championship is amazing. It's amazing for our tour. It's amazing for women's sports. And for someone to walk away with $4 million is something that I don't think any of us expected in our lifetime. And it's pretty darn remarkable. Second prize is a million dollars and if you qualify for this tournament it's $55,000 that's up 35% from last year that's meaningful I mean that's meaningful for anyone in the world but it's certainly meaningful for our athletes so everybody's working all year to get here and then when they get here they're gonna have the world-class experience and while news of increased purses on the LPGA Tour has become pretty common in recent years, the news of that $4 million winner's check, well, that one certainly had quite a few players speechless. I had a chance to speak with them uh, this afternoon about the news, not only about that winner's check, but also, as you heard Molly Marcusamon speak about there, that $1 million runner-up check that's going to go uh, to that second-place finisher last year, and that every single member, each of those 60 players who qualifies for this event last year will at least go home with $55,000 and here's what players had to say about today's news. Uh, I mean I was just in a state of shock for a few seconds. Uh, just unbelievable news. I feel like it's uh, unheard of you know in women's sport especially I mean definitely in women's golf. So I think it's uh, an amazing uh, opportunity for us and I feel like uh, 
mostly gratefulness for you know Mr. Duffy to be able to uh, put this together and really really raising the standard for women's golf and hopefully also uh, helps inspire other uh, tournaments and sponsors to follow their tracks. I mean that money is just so life-changing there's so much you could do give back and I mean for family as well I know it's very important for me um, so again just really gonna try to focus on making it to this week it's something that like you don't want to think about but at the same time it's hard to ignore um, but again just try to enjoy it and and hopefully come out on top but I mean I think even what second place gets a million dollars as well so it's crazy how much uh, you know see me and Terry are giving back yeah I mean it's it's, it's nice that um, Mr. Duffy's seen the value in, in women's golf and they've been big supporters of the women's game for, for a number of years now and they're really setting the bar and I think it's they've put down a marker for, for a lot of other tournaments, a lot of other sponsors to follow and um, I know we're all incredibly grateful for the sport and, and the opportunity to, to play for that kind of money. I mean, that's, that's going to be life-changing for whoever, whoever wins that and um, it'll trickle right down to the field. Well, how today's announcement and the broader picture of how it fits into the LPGA Tour season uh, next year and what that total purse will be remains to be seen. Fortunately, we won't have to wait long. The LPGA Tour is expected to release their schedule for the upcoming season uh, tomorrow. So we'll see how many other tournaments and sponsors follow suit, follow uh, in the footsteps of CME Group and Terry Duffy, who have led the way for many years in pushing the LPGA Tour to new heights and certainly look poised to do so for years to come. Guys? Amy Rogers in Naples, thank you very much. Damon, a lot of news out of Naples. Ooh. I mean, money does equal respect. We, we like to think that respect is earned mm. on the golf course, but money equals respect in, in the world of commerce. There's a lot more respect being handed to the LPGA Tour today. It is, and you can see and hear the reaction from the players. And good on the LPGA and the CME Group for overcoming that hiccup from one year ago when Terry Duffy, the CEO, was upset about the lack of the players showing up for a very important sponsor dinner during the week. He said it was more about a, a lack of communication as opposed to a lack of leadership. Whatever it was, today is a banner day for the LPGA Tour and the CME Group Tour Championship, doubling the winner's take to two million to four million, an increase in total purse from seven to eleven million, a million for the runner-up, fifty-five thousand minimum for whoever plays. I mean, that's that's some big dollars for these players. It is, and it does continue a trend that we've seen predominantly in major championships when it comes to the, the purse increases in the women's game. Just look at this graphic here of the five majors in women's golf, and every one of them shows a significant jump in purse to this year over the last couple of years, some of them doubling the U.S. Women's Open, an $11 million purse, the biggest in women's golf, now matched by the CME Group Tour Championship. And the question I guess I would have, I, I understand that there's the $55,000 for anyone who qualifies for this. The How the money's dispersed down the field mm. is an interesting question because it's the last five LPGA Tour events have which combined actually had a purse, the total of what the CME will be next year. They paid out 15% of the purse to the winner. Next year, the CME Group Tour Championship is paying out 36.4% of the purse to the winner. So I get that there is a, there's more being paid out for others who've qualified who are farther down the field. Mm. But this, I'm curious if there's, and we'll discuss this with Beth Ann Nichols when she comes on the show later, if it's the same problem you see talked about in, in tennis, men's and women's tennis, that if you're at the top of the food chain, life is good. Yeah. But making a living by being a member of the rank and file is getting a little tougher. 
And I, I wonder if this actually has an impact on people getting into this arms race for the first place check, as opposed to looking after the other members of the LPGA Tour as well. But let's hope, to Leona Maguire's point, that this has put out a marker where it's a vote of confidence in the product, a vote of confidence in the platform, and let's hope there are other sponsors out there who think that I should be doing that too. Great point that you make, but obviously you're, you're pleased if you're Celine Boutier, right. uh, Megan Kang, Leona Maguire. I mean, you're talking about the best of the best on the LPGA Tour, but the reaction of the rank and file will be very, very important. And you're right, hopefully this becomes a, a bit of an arms race in a positive way that you know, the USGA and the Amundi Evian, you know, and the AIG Women's Open, they, they, everybody wants to keep pace, and they want to be the leaders in elevating these purses in the women's game. And we're, we're finally getting closer to the point where the, all of the biggest events in the women's game, that the winner's check comes with two commas. Mm. That's routine in the yeah. men's game. It's routine for farther down the field mm. to make seven figures in the men's game for not winning. It's about time more women actually earned seven figures for actually coming out on top. Women starting to catch up at long last year. So you can watch the season ender on the LPGA, the CME Group Tour Championship tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern time, streaming on the NBC Sports app and Peacock and 3 p.m. Eastern on Golf Channel as we settle in and watch the LPGA season finale. And coming up next, we'll be joined by the PJ Tour's most recent winner, Camilo Vajegas. More on his emotional journey back to the winner's circle after more than nine years when we come back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Back on golf today, the feel-good story of the year took place over the weekend as Camilo Vajegas returned to the winner's circle for the first time since 2014, an emotional victory for Vajegas and his wife who lost their baby girl Mia in 2020 after a battle with brain cancer. Camilo, what a moment. It's, listen, it's been nine years since your last victory. Your first as a father, as a husband. We know how much you've endured. What's this journey been like? Oh, tough to put in words right now, but uh, wow, what a ride, man. You know what? I love this game. This game has given me so many great things, but in the process, it kicks, kicks your butt. Uh, life has given me so many great things, and in the process, it kicks my butt, too. Uh, I'm my little one up there watching, and um, well, you know, it's a, it's, it's a big team. It's a huge team behind this, and uh, you got my wife. My little one, Mateo, I'm sure he's jumping, he's crazy. And uh, everybody that's been around, I mean, my instructor this year, Jose Campra, has been unbelievable. Eugenio, who I've been working on my mental side. I've never felt so comfortable playing in the heat in the last couple of weeks. And uh, he told me when we started, he told me, you know what, I think you can win again on the PGA Tour. I'm not sure I believed him, to be honest, but uh, here we are. You know what? It was a great battle today. I stayed patient. I uh, missed a couple coming in, but that birdie on 17 was huge. So all in all, I just want to thank everybody that supported me over this journey. And uh, 
and just want to let them know that I always give my best, and uh, that's why we're here. And Camilo Vajegas joins us now from the RSM Classic. Camilo, it's great to see you. Congratulations. Sunday was appointment television, in my opinion. What have the last few days been like for you? Oh, Damon, good to have you. Uh, it's been great. It's been unbelievable. A little crazy, a little hectic. Uh, over 900 messages on my phone. I'm going to get to them slowly. <laughs> but, but I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful for the energy I constantly receive, obviously. Uh, the support we've received in the last several years after going through what we've gone through has been very special. The golf community and, and the non-golf world has been very supportive. Uh, they continually send good energy to me, my family. And, uh, and I'm very thankful for the team we've put together this year and, and the work we've, we've done. Um, yes, there were tough times and times where I kind of doubted myself and wasn't sure where this was going to end up, but I never stopped waking up in the morning early and giving it my best. So um, I have a lot of passion for the process. And um, the crazy thing is tomorrow we all start from zero again. So, uh, yes, I've been busy. It's been crazy. And um, I have a lot more responsibilities. And I'm going to be playing with the big boys once again next year. I'm excited about that. But uh, I got to focus on what we've been doing and the process and uh, waking up every morning and giving my best and preparing to play golf tournaments. The the Camilo from today is no different than Camilo from three weeks ago. And uh, we got to remember that. Camilo, you don't seem any different than you did 10 or 15 years ago when it comes to the work ethic. When you go through a loss of the magnitude that you and your wife did, how difficult is it to actually then focus at some point on the work, on something that seems fairly meaningless by comparison, but trying to get yourself back into that process, how long did it really take you? That's a great question. And, uh, and to be honest, it's, uh, I think uh, for those who are, that are going through difficult situations, the one thing that helped me the most was accepting. Just accepting that life goes in circles uh, with good stuff, with bad stuff with challenging situations and and with great rewards and uh, once you accept you can put a plan together so uh, that was that was what I decided to do uh, my wife and I decided to turn it tragic into something very positive we created Mia's Miracles Foundation who has that what that has opened our hearts to give back. We've been very fortunate to play golf for a living and being with a PGA Tour that donates so many charity dollars to to people in need, but to personally create our own foundation to honor our little one, uh, that has kept the engine going. And to be honest, every week my wife reads me letters of people thanking us for bringing a smile to them and making their experience a little bit better. Uh, if you look at it, I'm very thankful of, of the way we live our experience in, in Nicholas Children's Hospital for five, year, for five months. Even though the outcome wasn't the one we wanted, uh, we, had, we had the support, we had our family, we had uh, the staff. We, 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 were, we were very fortunate to live it the way we did. Uh, it's not the same for a lot of people. So... Once again, there's been so many things, including Mia's Miracles, the energy we constantly received, uh, my passion to work, uh, my curiosity to get better, to, 
to play good golf, to do things the right way, to treat others with respect. That has never changed. And uh, yes, uh, there are bumps in the road, but that's life. That's that's life. To everybody out there that's going through tough situations, that's life. So just, just accept it. Uh, work with what you have. And uh, trust me, it's never as good as you think it is. And that's something I always told myself, especially with the game of golf and with life, is when you're on top of the game, you think... Uh, you think you're you're always going to be there, so it's never as good as you think it is when you're on top, and it's never as bad as you think it is when you're at the bottom. Just keep putting the hours, keep putting the energy, keep putting the work, and uh, it's an evolving life that changes, that uh, moves around, and the good and the bad will continue to come. Camilo, you mentioned your phone, more than 900 text messages. Do you have a sense why your story, your family journey resonates with so many people? Yeah, absolutely, because once again, that's that's life, and, and we're not the only ones that have had challenging situations, I, especially when we, you create a foundation and you stay in contact with this with this crazy disease of cancer. You hear all this, you hear all these stories over and over and over, and you realize that even though you think this is so crazy and so not normal, what you just experienced, it's more normal than you think. And... Um, and that's why I think uh, my story resonates with, with so many people out there because life is interesting. Uh, today we're here, but at some point we're not going to be here physically. And, um, and everybody has to deal with that. So people care. People see that they, I've tried to just handle my career with respect, with hard work, with dedication, and they value that. So. Once again, I think that's why we constantly receive that good energy. I think that's why our story resonates with so many people out there. Because that's life, the ups and downs. You seem to bring very much the same attitude to your professional struggles over the last decade, Camillo. You just ended a nine-year drought since your last victory. When you look back at that time, was what happened with your game? Was it a technical issue? Was it just a confidence issue? What happened to stop you being the player that you had been, that you now are again? Well, very interesting question. And, 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 and the right answer is, if I really knew, I would have probably tried to do something for that not to happen. But things just start getting out of place. And, and, and technically, I, I was not in the right direction. And then emotionally, I probably wasn't in the right direction. And even though I kept waking up in the morning and putting the time, I was probably not working on the things I should have worked. But those failures also are, are, are part of this process. And those failures are part of what tells you, OK, man, it's not this way. You got to go somewhere else. It's not this way. You got to go somewhere else. So. I can't point out to one thing in particular, but I can tell you that, that, that all those tough things is what took me to other places to try different stuff. And in this case, to go to Jose Campra at the beginning of the year in February and say, listen, man, uh, this is enough. This is enough bad golf. And we need to do something to change the swing and make golf easier again. That was the reason why I went to Eugenio uh, Lisima in, in Chile and I said listen man mentally I need to be stronger and uh, how can you help me uh, that's the reason why we get involved with Mia's Miracles and, and, and open our hearts to just, just bring that good energy uh, that's the reason why just all the things I, I have the relationship I have at home and, and, and that's then came Mateo my, my son and, and it's, it's, it's been 
it's been great to have him. It's 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 filled our hearts too with a with new joy and different things, and you start putting all those things together, and then um, it finally starts feeling like you're aiming in the right direction, and you're you're we're all pedaling uh, with the same purpose. And I, like I said, when I won, uh, it's this is not only Camilo Villegas, but there's a big team behind to all those that have believed in me, that have supported me, that have trained. Uh, been with me over this years. I'm I'm very thankful and uh, I'm very happy. I could I could give him a victory because uh, it feels really good. Camilo, we had a little fun with the video of you with the microphone on your head, sitting next to Steve Sands uh, earlier this year as a broadcaster. Sometimes athletes go into the broadcast booth and you can say, well, he or she is done. They're turning the page, going to look to do something else. But did that give you a different perspective on the professional game? Man, I really enjoyed that week, uh, even though I, I never really wanted to do it because I've always wanted to play. Uh, it opened it opened my mind to understand how uh, you guys work so hard and uh, to put a show together. And once again, there's so much stuff that goes behind a golf tournament, and the broadcasting world was, was pretty cool for a week. Um, I'm glad I won, and I have status for the next couple of years, and probably won't see you guys uh, anytime soon. But... Um, I enjoyed it. I truly enjoyed it. I learned a lot. Um, it was very, it was great to be with the team, and uh, they treated me great. And uh, who knows? Maybe we open a little door for the future. Uh, I, I truly enjoyed it. Well, right now we're enjoying watching you on the other side of the camera, Camilo. Lee, Lee Trevino once said that after he did TV, he realized how many lousy shots great players hit and it gave him a new perspective as a competitor himself. Did that have that kind of impact on you that week at the window when you realized that you don't actually have to be absolutely perfect for four rounds on the PGA Tour to win? Yeah, absolutely. And, and very interestingly enough, it was something I spoke with uh, Jose Campra after Mexico because uh, I was really good in Mexico, but I wasn't feeling 100% I was, I off the tee. From there on, it was great, but I, I didn't have the full confidence of the tee. And, and he said, listen, remember, you don't have to be perfect to win a golf tournament. And um, the fairways in Mexico were a little bit too wide and maybe a little tricky to get focused. And he said, listen, man, this week in Bermuda with the wind and everything that's going on, smaller fairways, you're going to have to be more focused. And hopefully you can feel better from the tee. And that's what happened. I felt better from the tee, but uh, it's a good point you make that uh, you don't have to play perfect golf to win golf tournaments. We've heard it from uh, other players before. It's cool to see it on TV and um, and to realize that, hey, listen, just just let those bad shots behind and then even the good shots behind, they don't matter. You got to stay here and just go one at a time. It sounds cliche, but uh, but it, it truly is, is is something very important just to uh, hit one at a time and and take what you got what you got and, and keep the round going. Camilo, you're 41 years of age. You're in better shape than a lot of 21 year olds. What's left for you in this game? Who knows, man? Uh, obviously, I'm a member for the next couple of years, which is great. Like I said, I'm very excited to play with the big boys again. Um, I truly believe this is where I belong. Uh, my career has been has been really good. The game of golf has been great to me, um, and I want to play golf for a long time. So uh, we'll keep giving our best, and uh, we'll take whatever comes. Uh, I can tell you one thing: I'll be busting my my butt to perform, to do good things, 
and to continue to replicate the, the feelings I've had the last couple of weeks. Well, we know a couple of the events that you're in next year, which is the Masters and the PGA Championship for the first time since 2015. You need a, a solo third finish this week to break into that top 60 to be into the two signature events early in the season next year. Is that on your mind at all? Since you've gone second, you've gone first, you might as well add a third to it as well. Well, uh, you're not the first guy to, uh, to give me that uh, little stat. So it is in my mind. Uh, but again, I mean, you can't focus on the outcome. And I think uh, today's uh, world, we tend to focus too much on what we want, what we want, instead of how we want it, how we want to get there. And uh, golf tournaments are long, four days, 72 holes. That's the, a lot of things can happen. And um, so right now, I'm focused on going, hitting a few balls, uh, gearing up for tomorrow. And then when, uh, when tomorrow morning comes, we'll, we'll take it one at a time. That's exactly what I did in Mexico and brought me success. That's what I did last week in Bermuda. Even though that final round, it was, it was tricky at times to stay in the present. It's very easy to move forward and think about, man, what if I win this tournament? Am I going to win this tournament? To think about me here and there. And there were times in the golf course where I just kind of looked at my caddy and I said, listen, bud, keep me in here. Keep me in here. I, I, I'm, I, I'm going a little bit forward. So, again, uh, let's stay in the present. Let's uh, hit that one tomorrow morning, see what, how much we can shoot, and then uh, we'll be back on Friday too. Camillo, I feel like we should let you get back to those 900 text messages on your phone. Congratulations, and thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to uh, talk to you guys. And, uh, hey, I haven't done this in a while, but uh, even though uh, you have more responsibilities, uh, they're, they're good responsibilities. There he is, now a five-time winner on the PGA Tour, Camillo Vijegas. Looking up in the sky to his angel, Mia, giving us the story of the year. Alex Goff ranked 19th this week. Grad student at the University of Kentucky pursuing a Master of Business Administration. And during a senior season, started all 10 team events for the Wildcats. Second team, all SEC selection led UK with a 70.70 scoring average and recorded a team high five top 10 finishes, nine in the top 20. And Alex now joins us from Lexington. So you announced in May you're coming back for a fifth season to UK. Why'd you return? Uh, you know, I just really thought it was important for me as a player to just give me another year to, to help develop before I, before I turn pro. I kind of got a little bit later start to it so if, if I was just going to use the time to my advantage and obviously the the PGA Tour U thing has been big and that's a big really big proponent on why I also chose to stay and it's it's worked out well so far to say it's worked out well so far is an understatement Alex you've been second in three of your last four events are you riding a wave of confidence or is there a little bit of frustration in there that you're coming so close pretty much every time you're teeing it up these days yeah, it's definitely a little bit of both. Um, I, I got some momentum last spring and have really carried it into the fall. Um, it, it's a little frustrating because I think I've just come close so many times. Um, but I'm knocking on the door and I just have to keep putting myself in positions like that and it will. Uh, I know it'll pay off in the long run. Well, last week you were added to the Haskins Award watch list presented by Stiefel for College Player of the Year. How much is that a talking point 
among all the players in college golf. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the I'd say it's the pinnacle of college golf. Everybody, that's what you play for. You play to be the the best player in the country, and uh, just to be recognized as one of the top guys from the fall, it, it really gives me a lot of confidence heading into the uh, the spring season. It would be really cool. We don't see many grad students on the PGA Tour University rankings. Alex, are you torn at all in terms of you want a career in business with your MBA or you want a career in golf or you figure the MBA will help you if you're a professional golfer down the road? Uh, no, I'm, I definitely want a career in golf. I just figured I would make the most of my time here and get everything out of it, both school and golf. Um, and it's worked out uh, well so far, but it would be pretty cool to have an NBA uh, playing on the PGA Tour one day. Alex, you're a young man, but you've already faced some real-life circumstances and challenges, losing your good friend and roommate Colin Brown to cancer back in the year of 2020. You carried his golf bag en route to victory at the Blessings. How much did that experience and that loss shape you? Yeah, it, 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 it definitely shaped me a lot and all my teammates and coaches. It just kind of puts everything in perspective and, and realize that there's a lot there's a lot bigger things than golf. Golf is obviously what we devote a lot of our time and effort into, but at the end of the day, it's it's not really what matters. It's the the friendships and the relationship that the relationships that you make playing this game and it just it just puts it all in perspective how uh, just how gentle life is. It truly is, Alex, and we're so glad you're enjoying your college experience at UK. Best of luck in the spring season. We'll speak to you down the road. Thank you guys for having me. All right, he is Alex Goff. Folks, stay with us. Crunch time on the PGA Tour season concludes at the RSM Classic. Mackenzie Hughes, past champ, will tee it up this week with a lot on the line for 2024. He joins us next. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. Back on golf today, this week the PGA Tour is in the Golden Isles for the finale of the FedEx Cup fall at the RSM Classic. After this week, the top 125 on the FedEx Cup standings will own full PGA Tour cards for 2024, as well as a spot next year's Players' Championship. Now, numbers 51 through 60 in the standings to the conclusion of the RSM qualify for two sweet signature events in 2024 via the next 10 AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am and the Genesis Invitational two jewels of the West Coast Swing. You see the name there number 53 Mackenzie Hughes he's making his eighth start in this week's event back in 2016 he won a five-man playoff with this putt from the apron on the second playoff hole so a guy with a lot of good memories in Sea Island Georgia and Mackenzie Hughes joins us now Mackenzie you're in this 53rd spot, you've been moving up and down during this fall series between that 51 and 60 window to get in these signature events. Do you find it stressful this week at all? You know, I know you're not playing for a livelihood, but you are playing for certain perks that could come with a good performance this week. Yeah, um, I guess I wouldn't find it to be too stressful this week. I think my, uh, my spot in the top 60 has been secured and uh, that was kind of a mini goal for the fall. So I'm playing for a bit of a different uh, purpose than some other guys this week. But um, this is a place, a place I love, I've loved coming to, and I've had some good success here. So uh, I come here with uh, you know the intent to kind of get myself in the mix and hopefully make another run at it. Let's talk about that word stress for a minute. For an athlete, is a little bit of stress good? Does it kind of sharpen the eye and sharpen the knife a little bit? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that for certain guys here this week, they they tend to play better with their back against the wall. So I think certain guys here that are playing for their livelihoods and um, yeah, they kind of that kind of brings out their best golf. So I think there'll be a few guys this week that put on a, a really great performance when they really need it, and uh, they're going to play their way into that 125. So it'll be pretty compelling TV come Sunday afternoon, and uh, hopefully there's uh, some good golf being played. I believe you made some changes to your team during the course of this season, Mackenzie. What, what's been the motivation? What are you looking for in your game right now and moving forward? You know, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've made some changes, and, um, you know, they're, they're difficult changes to make. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to have to do those things. But, um, yeah, really kind of just looking for something a little bit different, a little bit, uh, a little bit fresh, and yeah, sometimes you have to make those changes. And um, you know, I feel I feel pretty good about things right now. I feel like I'm in a pretty good place uh, with my game. I feel like I'm in a good place with uh, what I'm working on. So sometimes in this game, you just need to to, to mix things up a little bit. And um, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. I've, this year, I've uh, had a couple of different coaches, and uh, so. Anyways, yeah, there's been some changes, and um, but looking forward to you know the golf ahead and uh, the place that my game's in uh, right now. About specifically, what are you trying to get out of these changes? What do you want to see from your golf ball? Huh. Well, uh, you know, I guess uh, I mean really the 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 changes I've I've made recently. Um, you know, I guess aren't, aren't directly related to my, my golf game, if you will. Um, but, you know, I guess some of the, the, the team stuff around me, some of my team has changed a little bit. And, I mean, I've had – I've been really lucky with, you know, you know some great people around me and some great support, uh, you know, through the years I've been on tour. And uh, I think right now it's not so much what I'm looking for in my physical game. is just so much is just, like, uh, kind of finding what I like, uh, I guess, around me. Um, Right now, from a from a personnel standpoint, and um, you know, my golf game has felt pretty good. Actually, most of this year, I just haven't really been able to get the results out of it. So, um, yeah, really, just kind of looking for something different, uh, a little bit of a change up, and um, kind of got a little spark there in Cabo and played played pretty nice. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, game feels pretty good, and uh, back at a place where I like playing. So, we'll see what happens. Mackenzie, are you like every other Canadian with a tour card right now that you're obsessed with the President's Cup next year? Mike Weir is the captain. It's been held in Montreal. How badly do you want to be part of the mix there? Yeah, I mean, I I would uh, probably give my left arm to be on that team. Um, so I've been thinking about that for a long time, and uh, it's a big goal of mine to be on that team. So... Obviously, all the events I play leading up to that point uh, are going to be important. So, I mean, even a start here this week, um, you know, gets me on my way towards that team. So, uh, yeah, it's like I said, I, I think I've said this uh, numerous times, but I I would probably I would give up a lot of things to, to play on that team. Uh, I'd probably pay a lot of money to play on that team. So uh, I have to be careful not to, to try too hard or, or to want that too badly. But it's definitely been a big goal of mine for uh, quite some time. I suggest you keep the left arm. You're going to need it, especially this week, and get Mike Weir's attention. Mackenzie, we appreciate the time. Best of luck this week. All right. Thanks, guys. 
we're backing up today, and Zach Johnson has had more than a month to wonder about what went wrong in Rome. The Ryder Cup captain is admitting to having some regrets about his leadership of Team USA. We're going to find out what they are. And we're going live to the CME Group Tour Championship in Naples, Florida, where there's news about a huge purse increase and a top player who might be on the DL. Golf Today continues now. Golf Today. It is the last event of the first FedEx Cup Falls. The PGA Tour heads to St. Simons Island, Georgia for the RSM Classic. And you can catch live first round coverage tomorrow noon Eastern right here on Golf Channel. How about the Sea Island resident Zach Johnson served as captain for this year's Ryder Cup team for the U.S. and Rome and Europe took back the cup 16 and a half to 11 and a half. Zach in the field at this week's RSM Classic and yesterday was asked to reflect on his experience as captain. I mean, I think about it a lot. I mean, when it's when it's something that, well, I mean, I guess you're gonna get really specific. It was you know a year and a half, maybe 19, 20 months from the announcement, I guess, right? Um, there's really about a year of true work, maybe 13, 14 months of work. So when when you have something of that magnitude that you're doing day in day out for the most part, and then it comes to an abrupt halt, you can't not think about it um and i love it i mean i, I just I, I i am a fanatic of the router cup so um given my role in the last one yeah i mean it's natural i mean i've got a lot of 2020 hindsight things that i certainly think about um arguably some regrets uh but i think again with something of that magnitude win or lose you're gonna have that and i um that's sports and i think that's when you care and you're passionate about something, you're, you're, you're going to have those natural feelings. So, um, you know, I, I think when I look back, you know, obviously the mission was to go win and we did, we, we did not do that. And for, you know, that, that stinks. Again, I, I, I wanted to win. I wanted these guys to win and I'm, it still hurts in some regards, but it's also the journey. This sounds like the right thing to say, but it's the truth. It's the journey with those people, specifically the 12, that I'll never forget. And apologies for maybe touching a nerve. If you had to pick no. one thing that you regret, what would it might be? Sure. Uh, well, I, I don't you're, – you're not. You don't have to apologize. Um, I am uh, – I, I, think, I think the best athletes, specifically golfers that I've been around, it's, it's a pretty obvious – especially if you can get into their intimate details of how they operate – I think compartmentalizing their life is uh, an attribute that a lot of guys do very, very well. Tiger will be the extreme example. He's amazing at it. And what I'm saying about compartmentalization is I think when it comes down to it, I, I look at things, every piece of my job is just that. I Even within that compartment, there's compartments. So, sorry. Um and so I, I kind of try to I try to treat the Ryder Cup in that in that manner. I'm not one to tell them what to do or how to play. Obviously, I'm not their coach, but I am trying to put these guys in a position to play their best golf. That's what compartmentalizing is. And so I looked at every aspect of the Ryder Cup before and the week of, 
and try to diagnose it and study it and figure it out, like what's the most efficient way to tackle each and every item. And the common denominator that I go back to that I wish I could have changed or, or, or uh, not changed, that's not, I wish I, it would have dawned on me earlier is just the pure commodity of time and understanding that it's precious. And I think I, you know, we had the practice round trip, no regrets, amazing. I don't think the guys would say they had any regrets in that. At least I would hope they wouldn't, but um, it was spectacular. But I think if I, if I could have, you know, it's, you're looking back on things. If I could have put more value into time management, I could have put my guys in a better position to play uh, play golf at a better rate early on. I'm not suggesting that would have changed the outcome. Not at all. I can't I can't determine that. That's sports, right? So I'm just saying I think in my seat I didn't see what needed to be seen till after the fact. Now it's been seen and it's been voiced by me and probably a couple others, but specifically myself. And so hopefully next time around uh, there's a better template put into place so these guys can go play golf. Go over to the right on with Adam. Zach, it's it's kind of natural. It happens every time that the captain that wins is celebrated, the captain that loses gets kind of beaten up. Mm -hmm. But do you feel like you were outcoached? Well, I'm not a coach. I'm a captain. You're outcaptained. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess that's such a subjective matter. There. I mean, if you're going to look at the scoreboard, you'd say yes. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I, you know, that's, it's, it's sports. I mean, the bottom line is this is the beauty of this. The absolute beauty of this is it's once every two years. But if I had my 12 guys and I could take them two weeks after that cup to another one, it, it could be totally different. Now it's not, that's not the way the formula is. That's not the way it works. And so I get that. So, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to fault anybody for suggesting that Luke did a better job because they won. I mean, that's, that's, it's only natural. Um, I think Luke would also attest to that, you know what, he's happy for his 12 guys that won. I'm upset that my 12 guys did not win. Um, Stricker, Davis, they both had chances to captain again. Would would you want to do this President's Cup or Ryder Cup in the future? Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I don't know. That's the first time I've had that question posed. Um, I, I, I'll just say this. I will serve Team USA to essentially any capacity if there's individuals that want me to be a part of it, if I'm the best choice for this, that, or the other, whatever that role is. I, I, it, I am able and willing to help them out because I, I, I love helping and serving. So, you know... I've learned a lot, obviously. I have some experience, but at the same time, I think again, one of the beauties of Team USA is that we have we have, you know, new guys coming up that deserve an opportunity and have the ability and uh the passion to do it as well. Damon, we've seen generations of losing US Ryder Cup captains who look wounded long after the fact. Lanny Watkins, Hal Sutton. Curtis Strange, all of them are still stung by what happened. It's interesting in, in Zach Johnson's case, it's not a very granular answer for what his regret is, the idea of, of time 
management. It, it raises the question of what he should be regretting because he doesn't appear to be there himself in terms of having a very specific decision or decisions that were made along the way. Gosh, me and you are thinking a lot alike of late. I, I similarly was curious, is this the, the slow start on Friday, 0-4, was the time commodity, does that mean in the, in the run-up, maybe the U.S. team not as familiar with the golf course as the Europeans were? Was there something in the practice schedule? And he gave a lot of time. That was some six and a half minutes, just that sound bite right there. But even then, I wanted more. <laughs> you could definitely feel the depth of his disappointment just in terms of the fact that this was 18, 19 months of a commitment, not just with him, but his wife Kim <clears> as well, <throat> thinking about the Ryder Cup, living and dying with every decision and wanting it so badly and loving his time as a player and vice captain and captain and having to live with that regret. And listen, he's a competitor. This is not going to define his playing days or his legacy, what he's given to professional golf. But man, you know, as meticulous as Zach Johnson is, to think that the time commitment or time commodity, that something was not the way he wanted it to be, I was begging for more uh, detail and more granularity in that answer. Yeah, and I'd almost pose the same question to Zach as, you know, Padraig Harrington faced at Wissing Straits a couple of years ago as a losing captain is, are you too wedded to the plan that you went into the week with? Mm. Or were you too reactive in the moment? to a bad result, like a bad Friday morning session, a bad Friday session, period. Yeah. And, you know, was the damage done in decisions made during the course of the week or was the damage done before the team got there? Yeah. In terms of the captain's picks, because on, on Monday of Ryder Cup week, Zach in a press conference said that the six guys who were locks on the team were adamant. That was his choice of word, adamant, on who the other six ought to be. And if you're allowing the team to pick themselves then you really wonder what the function of the captain is in terms of decision-making and how that captain is willing to discomfort players with yeah. decisions that are made and, and pairings that are made during the course of the week. And, you know, Zach Johnson gave us all to this yes. over the last couple of years. There's, there's no doubting the sense of commitment that, that Ryder Cup captains give to the job, but reflecting on decisions that were made during the course of that week probably takes a little bit longer than Zach Johnson has had to actually figure out what he would have done differently. American team has been criticized for being you know, not friendly enough, now being criticized for being too close. And some great coaches will tell you, you know, they subscribe to the art of war, Sun Tzu, that the battle is won even before it starts. I know Bill Belichick, a legendary New England Patriots coach, uh, struggles this season notwithstanding, subscribes that philosophy of Sun Tzu in the, the battle being won even before the battle begins. Sometimes the battle is lost mm. before it begins. Let's go to Naples, Florida. Jin Young Ko, she's a tremendous success at the CME Group Tour Championship, winning it twice, but a third title. Seems to be in doubt, though, an injury report from Bethann Nichols coming up on the other side of this break. Golf Week Magazine's Beth Ann Nichols joins us now from Naples, but indoors. Big announcement with this new deal today between the LPGA and CME Group. How did things get patched up after last year's uh, discomfort with the sponsor dinner? <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, I'm pleased to report that every player in the field showed up last night. So, so all went well. It was a little bit different format, but there are 60 players in this field. So, uh, so everybody got the message, but, uh, you know, Terry Duffy's the CEO of CME group and, and he said he got 
together with LPJ Commissioner Molly Marcusamon several times over the course of this year, and he felt like their conversations led him to a place to feel comfortable, to be confident, to move forward with the LPGA with this relationship for two more years. And of course, this blockbuster news of an $11 million purse next year and a, and a, a winner's check of $4 million, which is the largest first place prize in, in all of women's sports, just a, a huge statement. Bethan, how important is that statement in the sense that money does really equal respect when it comes to equity in sports? That's a sort of an argument Billie Jean King's been making for a half century at this point. And to have this happen outside of a major championship, which is where we have really seen the, the real growth spurt in purses over the last couple of years. You know, I think it's massive, especially for the LPGA to now be leading the way to overtake, you know, the US Open in terms of tennis, <laughs> having a $3 million first place prize. It's it's huge for for the LPGA. And 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 obviously in the in the past several years, we've really seen the CME group push push the majors to we've seen this huge increase at the major championships because of CME because Terry Duffy went that extra step and really raised the bar and so you know he knows he can push Mike Juan at the USGA to, to even further heights and I, I'm sure Mike Juan will, will keep raising the bar there as well so but you know he said it's it, he's not trying to alienate any of the other sponsors or you know there's a lot of organizations that can't make a statement like this and he he, he doesn't want them to feel like it's an arms race he really wants to look lift the entire tour and he wanted to create a season ending statement that players said you know i have to be there i have to be there at this at this uh cme group tour championship to, to play for this four million dollar prize and that might mean that they tee it up in some of these other events that have 1.5 million or 1.8 million dollar purses that they might have skipped before because if you win one of those you'll get 500 cme points just the same as if you win a purse with 3.5 million dollars you mentioned tennis earlier, Bethan, and there is this argument in tennis that it's great and you're well-fed at the top of the food chain, but it's a little harder for the rank and file to make a living. And I know the CME next year will pay a minimum of $55,000 to anyone who qualifies for the tournament, but typically LPGA events have played 15% of the purse to the winner. This is 36.4% of the purse going to the winner next year. Is, is there a danger with the purses going up that too much of it will become concentrated on the very top of the food chain that week and deny their ability to make a living a little farther down the leaderboard? Well, there was a big discussion about this last year, and Amy Olson kind of led the charge, thinking that it might be better to move that from 15% down to 12% so that the winner's check money kind of filters on down the list. But you know, I remember talking to Nellie Corda about this last year around this time, and she said that she felt that if they they lowered the amount of the winner's check that it would actually be a step backwards for the LPGA. And so obviously this is the players want a lot on the LPGA, but I, I think she makes a good point there. So they've kind of found a middle ground this year with Accenture signing on for a five-year deal with the LPGA to help offset expenses at a lot of these lower tier events in terms of purses. So that when you travel to a place like Hawaii that has a smaller purse, 
you know, you actually get a travel stipend because at some of these events, it's possible to make the cut and still lose money. And so at several of these this year, players had their, no matter if you made the cut or not, you know, you made some money just like you see at, at the majors. So, you know, I think that was a perhaps a better compromise because I do think, as we were saying earlier, it is so important to have these, these statement weeks where people turn their heads to the LPGA and say, wow, they're, they're leading the way here in all of women's sport. You want to keep moving that bar. Speaking of top players, Jin Young-Ko, been a bit snake-bitten during this week. She's played through injury, a hand injury in the past, and now a leg injury. What is she dealing with? Well, as, as Amy Rogers first reported yesterday, she she ha she hyperextended her left knee during the Annika last week. I understand it was during the second round, actually. And, uh, you know, it's the, her team doesn't expect her to wear this brace when she actually competes this week, but it's really impacting her mostly when she walks. So... I think she's going to get, get an MRI when she returns home to South Korea. It doesn't sound like it's a, a, a major, major thing to be concerned about, but certainly she's uncomfortable out there. But I think we've seen her win here playing in a lot more pain with her wrist than what she's feeling <laughs> in her knee right now. Beware the injured golfer. Bethann, thanks for the time. Hopefully you put the umbrellas away and enjoy some sunshine this week. Thank you, guys.